Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own AB Home Interiors in Nashville, Tennessee. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive through a well-designed home. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your environment more mindfully. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month as I journey into the depths of domestic and holistic enlightenment. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Design 101. I'm your host Amanda and to really kick off the new year, I have an interview lined up with the very well-known astrologer Tom Brady. Tom has a master's degree in philosophy from the University of New Mexico and began his part-time astrology practice in 1972 while he was a builder where he built some of the first solar homes in New Mexico. In 1988, his astrology practice had become so large that it became a full-time occupation. His insights into the world of the stars can give us all a greater understanding and appreciation of nature and its natural rhythms. Ever have one of those days? How about one of those years? Chances are it was written in the stars. The planets are symbols that when aligned in certain ways can read like a weather report. Just because there is a hurricane outside doesn't necessarily mean you're bound to the indoors. However, you better be prepared for the storm. In the fall of 2008, great change started to take place. Did you feel it? Did you see it? If you didn't see or feel it, you were probably living under a rock or under the age of seven. Saturn, Uranus, and Pluto were all at 180 degrees. So what the heck does that mean to an astrologist? The perfect storm. Saturn is our safety and security. Uranus is the shocks in our life. And Pluto stands for great change. A pivotal time in our history. The last time this alignment took place was in the 60s. Now think about that. Marilyn Monroe, JFK, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, the Berlin Wall, and the first moon landing, just to name a few. Really a time of great change. Astrology is not fortune telling. It is more like a heavenly weather report that helps us understand and see trends, but it also lets us know when it's summer or when it's winter. Our ancestors used astrology for worship, ceremony, and as a way to honor their heritage. Cultures that were close to nature understood the natural rhythms of nature, unlike today's city dwellers whose main connection is sealed up in an office building and concrete floors. Join me as I sit down with Tom today to discuss the events of 2014, what we have to look forward to, the economic climate, and what to prepare for. Tom, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on today. Oh, thank you very much. So for listeners who are new uh, to the show and didn't catch our show that we did last year, how did you get interested in astrology? I know you've been doing it a long time. Yeah, I'm in my 47th year with it now. Wow. I uh, I was having some very serious personal problems when I was in my early 20s and uh, I ended up 
doing uh, some dream analysis with a uh, Jungian therapist. And uh, as part of that work, I was reading some of Carl Jung's uh, writings, and he kept referring to astrology in a favorable light. And I wondered why any intelligent human being in the 20th century would find astrology of value. So I decided to check it out, and, and one thing led to another, and 47 years later, I'm still involved with it. Did you find when you first started doing, because, I mean, you started looking into this in the in the 70s, so right. when you started doing the research and looking into it, um, what were some of your thoughts behind it? Were you amazed by it, or did it make sense to you? Or Well, it, it certainly... Um, Initially, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So w what I did was I found this little book called How to Cast Your Own Horoscope. And it purported to tell you how to be able to create your own astrological chart. But I couldn't make any sense of it. It didn't seem to... I, was, I just didn't know if I was doing it right or I was doing it wrong. There was just no way. But the writer, the author at the back of the book had a list of astrologers. And at the time I was living in the Northeast and, uh, uh there was a, he had a woman in Boston listed. And so I contacted her and asked her if she would take me on as a tutor. And her name was Lenora Lexton. She was 95 years old at the wow. time. And I never met her in person. We corresponded and uh, what she would do is she taught me at that time, that was before computers. Computers uh, have really uh, revolutionized astrological work as it's done to so many areas of our culture. But before computers, to cast a, an astrological chart, you had to have a whole bunch of books. And it took at least an hour uh, and sometimes longer doing the calculations by hand. Now the computer does it in seven-tenths of a second. Uh, but uh, So she first taught me how to calculate charts, and then she would send me uh, the birth information, date, time, and place of birth is what we need to cast an astrological chart. Uh, because what a chart actually is is a map of what the solar system looks like or looked like at the moment of a person's birth from the perspective of their place of birth. And so uh, it makes a big difference. Uh, the time, uh, the date obviously makes a huge difference. The time is very important because, uh, because of rotation of the earth, the positions of the planets in the sky change continuously. And uh, even though there'll be certain similarities of, of charts of people born on the same day, if they're born at different times on that day or born in different parts of the world, different uh, uh, latitudes and longitudes, you will get slight variations and changes that actually make a huge difference in interpretation. So she would send me that information uh, about one of her clients and I would cast the chart and then I would offer her an interpretation and this was all done by hand. We wrote these long letters to each other. I was really grateful. She didn't. She never asked for payment uh, of any kind. She just did this for me gratis. And uh, so I would send her these, you know, seven, eight handwritten pages, single space pages of interpretation. And she would write back to me. And the first few I did, she'd write back and say, I don't know where you're getting this stuff, but this is awful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
And uh, at first it was kind of discouraging, but I stuck with it. And I don't know if that was just a pedagogical technique on her part to kind of uh, push me a little bit or if, if it really was all that bad. But uh, anyway, I persevered with it and, and uh, got better at it. And, uh, I've done over 10,000 uh, sessions with people now uh, over the 47 years I've been involved with this. So I've looked at a lot of astrological charts. Wow. So I, I want to back up just a little bit and what you were talking about. When you do an astrological chart on somebody... Um, you were talking about the longitude and the latitude and based on time and where they are. When you say that it really differs, not only in the time but placement, is it because of the energies that are in the universe or why does it, why does it change? Well, it's the geometry of the situation. Um, again, an astrological chart is a snapshot of what the solar system looks like at a certain moment in time. And because if you're viewing uh, things from a different point, it will it will it will alter things a little bit. If you're looking at your uh, if you're looking at a painting in your house and standing right in front of it, it's going to look one way. But if you walk 20 yards to the left and look at it, it's going to look a little different. Um, and that's a, that's a kind of poor analogy, but that's essentially what we mean here. Astrology is radically subjective in the sense that it's absolutely personal uh, to everyone. One of the common uh, criticisms of charts, of, of astrology in general, uh, we get this a lot from, from people with scientific bents, is that, you know, uh, when, the, when the Copernican revolution occurred and the sun became the center of the solar, or was recognized as the sun, as the center of the solar system, instead of the earth being the center, as had been thought up till that time. Uh, there's a tendency to think, well, then, you know, uh, astrology can't possibly work. But what we're still looking at is we're looking at, we know that the sun is the center of the universe, but I am the center of my world. You are the center of your world. Every one of your listeners here is the center of their world. Carl Jung made the point that we never know the world in itself. I mean, lots of people have made the point, but he made it. Uh, that we don't know the world in itself. We just know the world as we perceive it, as we get it through our senses, as we process it through our, our thoughts, etc. So each of us is at the center of our own, own individual perception of reality. And societies share perceptions, and so it creates this illusion that there is this kind of objective reality out there. But in fact, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. We just never know because we can't get out of our subjectivity. So what the chart is is a map of a person's subjectivity. It's a map of how that person, born at that place on Earth at that specific moment in time, sees life. Interesting. And are there different types of astrology? Are there different oh, ways to yeah. approach it? Yeah, that's one of the beauties of astrology. It's never been standardized. The, one of the things I love about this thing called astrology is that it's kind of a, a pariah in Western culture. And because of that, there's no regulation, there's no standardization. There's none of the things that have turned so many other areas of uh, intellectual interest in Western culture into very formulaic processes. 
astrology uh, consists of many, many diverse approaches. Uh, there's a general Western approach, and then there's a general Eastern approach. The, the main Eastern system is called Vedic astrology, comes from India. But there's Tibetan astrology, there's Chinese astrology. Every culture on Earth developed some form of astrology uh, in, early, in early times. Some of them were extremely crude, but it was a universal uh, experience all around the world. There, we don't know of a culture that didn't in one way or another form some relationship to the heavens. And not in a scientific sense, not in a sense of studying the heavens, but in a sense of being part of the heavens, feeling that somehow as a being uh, that myself and uh, those bodies that we see at night when we walk out outdoors on a clear evening somehow have a connection to each other. And that's the, the, there's an old, old saying in astrology, as above, so below. And that's still the most concise description of what we believe that we're doing. Essentially, astrology is based on the idea that it's all a unity. And that if you can pick up the patterning in one part of the unity, you'll find that patterning being reflected in other parts of the unity. So we look at the pattern of the solar system on the belief, not that those planets are causing us to behave in any way. This is, again, where the scientists think they're dealing us a death blow with their criticisms. Uh, we don't believe these stars and planets, etc., are doing anything scientific to us in the sense of sending any kind of radiation that makes us behave in certain ways. We just believe that they symbolize something like a huge piece of poetry. And why they should do that, we don't have the slightest idea. But that's been the premise of astrology for thousands of years. And all I can tell you is after 47 years and 10,000 sessions with people, I think that's true. Uh, and is each approach, I realize that there isn't a standardization to it, but um, is each approach similar in in like the patterns that you talk about well there's certain similarities like every almost every major form of astrology uses the planets of the solar system each major system of astrology uses the zodiac although there are different there are two different zodiacs uh, there's the constellations themselves uh, aries taurus etc etc and and uh, some astrologers use the actual physical constellations. It's called the sidereal zodiac. And then some of us, uh, and that, that tends to be more the Eastern system, the Vedic astrologers are sidereal-ists. But there are Western sidereal-ists as well. Uh, but most Western astrologers use what is called the tropical zodiac. And what the tropical zodiac is, is really the seasons of the year. The unfortunate problem is that we use the names of the constellations to talk about months of the year, and so it creates confusion, but it is so deeply ingrained in the human psyche, these zodiac signs, because they've been around for thousands of years now, uh, that it's hard to get people to change the, the names, but really what we should be saying in the West, instead of saying your son is in Aries, we should be saying your son is in the first sign of spring. That would be much, much more accurate. So there's there's different there's different each system of astrology, and there's hundreds of systems of astrology. Again, they they've been evolved in 
so many different places over so many centuries. Uh, each system has its has its own uniqueness, but basically uses some of the same elements. So, would the types of like, let's say, one person uses one type of astrology in the U.S. and somebody uses a different one in, say, India? If we were looking at the patterns of the world, would they come up with similar solutions then, or would they be vastly different? Uh, again, it would be a little of both. That that there would be some agreement, uh, but there would be some major differences. And it's it's not a question in my mind of of, for instance, is is Western astrology more accurate than Vedic astrology? It's a it's a it's a matter of looking at things from different perspectives. Uh, we talk about it as a take. There's the Western take on the world situation. There's the Vedic take on the world situation, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's just like it's like different languages. If if I use English to talk about the world, the English language, the vocabulary, the grammatical patterns of the English language shape my perception of reality. This has been a major understanding of Western philosophy in the 20th century, that, that these different languages shape our perceptions in different ways. And certain languages are part of the same family. So like all the European languages, French, German, Spanish, English, all have a lot of similarities. So people tend to see a very similar world. But you use a very non-Western language like Blackfoot or something, uh, any of the Native American languages, and they divide the world up in a very different way. Uh, and, it's, and, and that's the same thing the different astrological systems do. They take the same, uh, we're looking at the same world, but we're drawing certain features of the world forward. Some systems draw certain features, other systems draw other features forward. Well, the last time we spoke, we were still in the midst of some really wild planetary alignments and things were still going a little bit crazy. What are some things that we can expect in uh, 2014? How are those planets aligning? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think anything's less crazy? No. No? <laughs> okay. Well, the astrological patterns are essentially the same. Uh, let me set a little context here. Let's we're we're in the we're in a kind of ongoing series of planetary configurations that have been going on for a while now, and so you can't really understand the current situation adequately in my mind unless you understand sort of the whole sequence here. And it's there's a certain arbitrariness of where we pick the story up, but I'm going to pick it up in January of 2008. When the planet Pluto entered the zodiac sign of Capricorn for the first time in 250 years, Pluto is the most distant body of the solar system. The, the astronomers call it a dwarf planet now because they think it's too small and irregular in its orbit to be a true planet. Uh, but in, in astrology, again, we're doing something more akin to poetry than to science. So planet, dwarf planet, it's all the same to us. It's all part of the poetry. So because Pluto is this most distant body, whatever it is, uh, it moves more slowly than any other body in the solar system, and it takes it 250 years to go all the way around the zodiac. So every once in a while, Pluto changes zodiac signs, and that's often an indication of very big long-term processes 
occurring in the world. So in, in January of 2008, it entered the zodiac sign of Capricorn. And Capricorn is the symbol for the institutions of society. It's the symbol for uh, everything in society that that endures through time. So, you know, you, if somebody builds a courthouse and that courthouse stands for 200 years, there's that's the Capricorn aspect of that courthouse. If they uh, if they set up the judicial system and it goes on for hundreds of years, that's the Capricorn aspect of the judicial system. It's the endurance. It's the it's the long-standing patterns, whether they're physical patterns or uh, mental patterns or whatever. So we talk about it, uh, Capricorn, as the institutions of society. So Pluto entering Capricorn, Pluto symbolizes all processes of death and rebirth. And what dies under Pluto is what's kind of served its purpose. And what's born under Pluto is what needs to come forward to, to be appropriate to current circumstances. So as Pluto entered Capricorn, it suggested the beginning of a long period of death and rebirth of the institutions of society. And, and I don't just mean American society, I mean world, I mean all societies. Um, we have our problems in this country, but everybody's got theirs in one way. Everybody's in this intense period of change here. So uh, the key word we use for Pluto is transformation. So 2008 was the beginning of the transformation of the institutions of society. Now, people don't change institutions unless there's a big problem. If things are going well, nobody, why would we? There wouldn't be any point to it. So usually these changes of sign, et cetera, are accompanied by some very challenging circumstances. And, you know, January 2008, we were about a year into the recession and nobody quite understood it yet. But um, it was suggesting that, you know, this was not just a little uh, temporary economic setback, that this was the beginning of a huge change of some kind. And once again, it was a global change. So we were in the midst of a, the beginning, again, of, of a very, very, very big change. In 2009, the planet Saturn joined Pluto in a relationship. Planets form relationships to each other based on different geometrical patternings. If they're in the same degree of the zodiac with each other, it's called a conjunction. They can be 30 degrees apart, 45, 60, 90, 120, 180. These are all called aspects between planets. And the best analogy is it's like an old-fashioned telephone switchboard. The planets are patched together, and what the two planets symbolize uh, are having, in effect, a conversation with each other. And some of those geometrical relationships are friendly conversations and some are not so friendly. And the conversation going on that started between Saturn and Pluto in 2009 and, and got much stronger in 2010 was a not so friendly combination. And in fact, when you put Saturn and Pluto together, Pluto again symbolizing the transformations of society, Saturn symbolizing all of the blocks, obstacles, and difficulties of life, you put those two together and you get difficult transformation or blocked transformation. The key word we used for 2009 and 10 was stagnation. And of course, that was the, the heart of the recession. Everything in, in uh, globally uh, and certainly in the United States just came to a halt. 
people were coming into my office in those years and I'd say to them as they walked in the door just for the fun of it, I'd say, you're stuck, right? And they'd go, yeah, how do you know? And I'd say, because we're all stuck. <laughs> and that was that was the situation. And that was the coldest, harshest combination of planets possible. Now, if that combination of planets fell in your birth chart in some significant place, then you felt that cold, harsh energy in some very personal way, like you lost your job or you lost your house or, you know, uh, your mortgage was foreclosed on or something like that. I'm just using those as examples. If it wasn't falling in some important part of your personal chart, then it was going on around you. You were reading about it in the newspaper, hearing about it through friends, but it wasn't necessarily affecting you personally. So we had two pretty cold, harsh years there, 2009, 2010. Then at the beginning of 2011, the planet Saturn had moved on. Saturn moves much faster than Pluto, so eventually it left this relationship to Pluto. And the planet Uranus moved into a relationship with Pluto. And Uranus symbolizes what we call the shocks and surprises of life, all of the unexpected twists and turns, everything where we go, whoa, never expected that. So that happened in January of 2011. And so blocked or difficult transformation, stagnation, which was what we called again Saturn and Pluto, now became shocking transformation. And the first things, of course, that occurred in the world almost immediately after that was the beginning of the Arab Spring. And I, I think if you and I had sat down uh, a few months before that and talked about different parts of the world where we thought there might be a revolution, I don't think Tunisia would have been at the head of our list. And that's how Uranus works. It comes out of the blue. It indicates circumstances and events that you're just not expecting and that, again, create a shock to the, to the status quo of a situation. So this period of shocking transformation began uh, with the Arab Spring. And then, of course, the Fukushima disaster occurred right on the heels of that. We're still dealing with that one and will be for 10,000 years probably. If you're following that event at all, uh, it is still uh, extremely volatile. And in terms of its potential to produce uh, degrees of shocking transformation that we just uh, are not used to dealing with, it still has that potential. One of the ideas in astrology is whatever begins at a moment in time has the qualities of that energy. So these things that began under the shocking transformation symbolism can continue to do that for a very long time. So Uranus moves much slower than Saturn. So this relationship of Uranus and Pluto, instead of lasting for about 18 months as the Saturn-Pluto relationship lasted, this one lasts, uh, well, it started in 2011, and it kind of holds on in to, uh, to some degree through 2017. And the most intense period uh, began in 2012 uh, and uh, will continue through the spring of 2015. So we're right in the heart of the shocking transformation at this point in time. And uh, this, this is like living in a hurricane 24-7. And, of course, we see all the, again, the events going out in the world. You know, the big shocking transformation, obviously, is climate change. That has the potential to trump everything else here in the coming years. Um, 
And uh, But, you know, we've got this incredible political dysfunction in our own country. We've got economic woes still all around the world, or at least in many parts of the world, our own country, with this inequality of wealth is in a terrible situation at this point in time. Uh, and everything's changing. Nothing is stable. And once again, if this falls, if this combination uh, of Uranus and Pluto falls in some important area of your chart, you're going to be in a state of shocking transformation. And depending on where in the chart it is, we can get some idea of where in life you'll be feeling these energies. And once again, if it's not in your chart in any significant way, and what I mean by that, there are certain points in your chart that are key points. And if these planets are not crossing any of these key points, then this again is going on around you, but it's not affecting you personally. But if it is crossing those points, you in some way are in a state of shocking transformation. And we believe that understanding that and understanding uh, where in life uh, this is being symbolized as working for you, it helps us understand how to work with that situation. And we can also get time frames from an astrological chart, we believe. So it tells you what you're dealing with and how long you're going to be dealing with it. And that allows you to be in that situation in a more conscious way which means the potential to reap something of benefit from it, even if it's a quite a difficult situation, more so to a degree than if you're just being swept along, again, what we call unconsciously in the situation. Like It's like being dragged behind a team of runaway horses in that situation. In other words, you either become the shocking transformation by making choices to make changes in your life or you suffer the shocking transformation as everything starts changing on you. And that can be a very bewildering and uh, discombobulating experience. Well, there's definitely something to be said about just simply being aware. I know that when I had uh, you read my chart uh, a couple years ago, I mean, I didn't know what I had Saturn come into my chart and, and um, I was going into a winter cycle and I didn't, we, we didn't know necessarily what that meant, but having an awareness of it allowed me to prepare in some way to know that something was coming. So. I didn't do extravagant purchases. I didn't make big decisions because I knew those things were coming, even though I didn't right. know what they were. Yep. That's exactly, that's the whole point of astrological work. You know, astrology originally comes from cultures that were very close to nature. It was their way of articulating the way the rhythms of nature work in a human life. Those rhythms still work in our life, even if we live in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, we just aren't aware of it. And we believe that the more we're aware of it, uh, that just as you said there, the more we can cooperate with those rhythms in ways that make us more successful in whatever we're attempting to do. And the less we're aware of those rhythms, again, they just blindside us. So, for example, you mentioned that Saturn came into your chart, and we, we do call that a winter cycle because it has a wintry, contracted, difficult quality about it. And these winter cycles come along every once in a while in our lives, and everybody gets them. There's no way you can't get them. 
Uh, Saturn uh, moves through the zodiac on seven-year cycles. That's where that number seven in all our mythologies come from. Relationships last seven years, businesses last seven years, rest on the seventh day, all that sort of stuff. That's the Saturn cycle. And so every once in a while, and so your chart is essentially a, a series of overlapping seven-year cycles in different parts of life, and sometimes in important parts and in not important parts. But say, for example, you're having a Saturn cycle, and they last about 10 months usually. Say you're in the midst of one across a very important symbol in your chart. The sun is the symbol for how a person shines, and most of us in this culture shine through our careers. So when Saturn crosses through the point in the zodiac where the sun was at the time you were born, you're in what we call a major winter cycle for about 10 months. And, you know, if, if, if I'm in New York City in January, it isn't the best time to go out and have a picnic in Central Park unless it's a very rare January. Uh, I'm going to have a much more pleasant picnic if I go in June or July. Uh, and so... In your personal life, if you're in a winter cycle, it isn't the time to start a new business. It isn't the time to go out and, you know, uh, stress yourself financially by purchasing that huge ticket item or something, unless you just want your life to be more difficult than it has to be. Whereas if, you know, if there's a summer cycle, these are the planet Jupiter symbolizes cycles of growth and expansion, which we call summer cycles. If you're in a summer cycle, you're more likely to be in a position to, if you start a business, it's more likely to be successful. So, uh, again, charts are all about timing and all about aligning with these rhythms and all about understanding how energy moves through our lives, both in terms of lifelong patterns, our habits, our the way we've been conditioned, et cetera, et cetera, and in terms of how it's moving through uh, this year as opposed to last year or next year. And again, the big news for everybody in 2014 is the ongoing shocking transformation. Uh, and that's going to be the dominant energy again for several more years. So you said that Uranus and Pluto basically started this relationship in, in the beginning of um, 2012. Were there 20 any... 2011. 2011. And yeah. so through 2012 and 2013, were those the two major planets that were really affecting all of us? Yes. Yes. And so that continues into 2014. Yes, it continues. And again, in it is in its most intense phase now. Um, so, uh, and for those of us that live in the United States, we have charts for countries as much as we can chart any organized body of information, a person, a business, a country, anything, if we have a date, time, and place of birth for that organism. And so because of July 4, 1776, we have a chart for the United States. And in the U.S. chart now, the sun of a, of a, in, the, in a country's chart, the sun symbolizes the heart of the country and to some degree uh, the leader of the country, in our case, the president. And these planets of shocking transformation are now uh, in the next, in the first three months here of 2014, uh, reaching a relationship to the sun of the U.S. chart that is uh, extremely, uh, it's very strong. I think it's important, you know, everything in astrology is about cycles. 
And it's important to sort of look back at earlier times. When was Uranus and Pluto around for us the last time? And the last time was 1963 to about 1970, 71, something like that. So it was the 1960s. And if some of your listeners, like myself, may have lived through that time, and some may have just heard stories about it or whatever, but those were certainly times of shocking transformation. And the time before that, that these planets were, were around was 19, about 1927 to about 1937. That was the stock market crash and the Great Depression in the United States. And those were certainly time, and the New Deal coming out of that, that was certainly a time of shocking transformation as well. But the, the cycle of any two planets begins when the planets come to what we call conjunction with each other, when they line up with each other in the sky relative to the Earth. And the last time Uranus and Pluto did that was in the 1960s. So the 60s were symbolized as the beginning of a cycle of shocking transformation that won't be complete until the next conjunction, which is 2105. So the changes that started in the 60s, one of the big mistakes I made in the 60s, and a lot of my contemporaries did, was I thought all the changes were going to occur right then. And, and when they didn't, we got very disillusioned and disappointed, and a lot of us went and became stockbrokers or something. What the astrology has taught me was that that was just the beginning of a huge period of change. And so now Uranus and Pluto are in their first major configuration since the 1960s, and what this means is that the change that began in the 60s is now trying to take its next step forward. If it's successful in that, and I'll give you an example in a second here, but if it's successful in making this change, and that's what we've got all of this uh, incredible turbulence and upheaval worldwide, it's, it, it's about people that want change and people that don't want change and the, and the tension between those two poles. But if these changes, you know, the 60s were a time of recognizing uh, that a lot of change needed to happen. And uh, if we start to go forward with these changes, by the time the planets reach what we call opposition to each other, Uranus moves faster than Pluto. So Uranus has now moved 90 degrees away from Pluto. Uh, technically, that's called a square relationship. So the conjunction of the 60s has now evolved 50 years later into a 90 degree or square relationship between the planets. In 2047-2048, Uranus will reach opposition 180 degrees from Pluto. And that's the time where we see whether or not the changes of the 60s that started in the 60s, the seeds of change that were planted in the 60s, we see whether or not they'll be successful or not. The years we're in now are the crucial turning point. So here's a good example. The first presidential briefing on climate change was actually given to Lyndon Johnson in 1963. He completely ignored it, said, oh, this is hundreds of years in the future. We don't have to worry about this. Now, 50 short years later, we realize that we have a very serious problem on our hands. And if we begin to seriously address it, which no country on earth right now is seriously doing, um, but if we do begin uh, to address it in the next four years, and that's going to take enough people in the world insisting that that happen, um, by 2047, 2048, 
I think we people will be thanking us. The people alive at that time will be saying, thank God that we started to deal with that when we did. Vice versa, if we don't start to deal with it, we don't have to fix it in the next four years. We just have to start fixing it in some serious way. If we don't deal that, the people in 2047, 2048 are going to be living with the full-blown consequences of our inaction, and I don't think it's going to be a very pretty picture. And what happens in 2048? Is that when Uranus and Pluto combine again? they, They reach opposition to each other. See, the conjunction in the 60s started a cycle of change. And when the planets reach 180 degrees, halfway through that cycle, again, the cycles from one conjunction in 1965 to the next conjunction in 2105, halfway through that cycle, they reach opposition to each other. They're 180 degrees apart from each other. That's what happens in 2047. And what that means symbolically is that what started in the 60s is either fully realized successfully in 2047 or it's fully realized as a failure in 2040s. In other words, the change that started in the 60s will be able to judge at 2047, 2048, that general time frame, that about seven, eight year period right around 2050 there, will be able to judge whether or not these changes have been successful or not. Gotcha. So other than Pluto and Uranus doing this dance around us uh, for 2014, are there any other things that are, are happening? Or is it pretty much just uh, overall we're still in a winter type cycle? In terms of the world situation, the lar- the, again, the, the larger situation and our, and our own individual situations within that, Right now, the planet Jupiter is configured to Uranus and Pluto. So it's actually a three-planet relationship right now. Jupiter moves faster, much faster than either Uranus or Pluto. So it only hangs around in this relationship. Oh, it started a few months ago, and it's around till uh, next spring, uh, the spring of 2014. So another mm, three, uh, four or five months, probably. Um And so Jupiter is this planet of growth and expansion. So right now, it is expanding the shocking transformation. In other words, that's why I asked you at the beginning, are things seeming less chaotic? And you said, no, not at all. Well, we're under under symbolism that's suggesting, again, that the whole thing is like a mushroom. It's mushrooming at this point. Things are getting crazier. And, you know, again, we see this out in the world, but we see it in our own individual lives, I said earlier in, in in response to another question of yours, I said that astrology is radically subjective. What always amazes me is that this is in the charts of 7 billion people and there are 7 billion separate shocking transformations going on. Some very serious, some not so serious, but everybody's dealing with this in some way, in their own unique way. And that's the real turbulence is the result of those 7 billion shots. In other words, nobody in the world is stable at this point in time. Everything is shifting either in their lives or all around them in one way or another. And the Jupiter is expanding that. But the Jupiter also has a kind of, how can Jupiter's the planet of optimism. And that can be a, a very healthy optimism in the sense of trying to see the half full glass rather than the half empty glass, or it can be absolutely delusional. Uh, uh, what's the old phrase? Uh, 
Pollyanna, to be Pollyannish in that sense. So, I mean, look at the, again, the climate change issue. We've still got huge numbers of people believing that this really isn't a problem or uh, that somehow technology is going to get us out of this in some way. And so, and we won't have to change our lifestyles. We won't have to stop raping and pillaging the planet, uh, that somehow we can continue with this. So, the Jupiter also has that connotation of just sort of everybody's kind of heading for the cliff, but uh, skipping and, and singing as they go. As that Jupiter leaves the relationship to Uranus and Pluto uh, in the spring here, the planet Saturn comes into relationship with Uranus and Pluto. So this kind of summery Pollyannish uh, period moves into again a winterish period where it starts to get a whole lot clearer what the difficulties uh, are are coming out of this. Uh, so I would expect you know again by by spring and summer again some probably pretty serious climate. I mean it's not like we're not having them, but it's quite possible we'll again see either an escalation uh, in their in their in the number of serious events or uh, an increase in their intensity in some way. So you have to picture everything in astrology again as a moving process here. One of the greatest values of astrological work in my mind is it helps us understand how to think about our world in a very different way. The way our culture thinks about the world is creating huge problems at this point in time. Um, there was a, a communications theorist, theorist and an anthropologist named Gregory Bateson. He was married to Margaret, Margaret Mead, then they've heard of Gregory Bateson. But he was quite a remarkable man. He was one of the first people to do interspecies communication work with dolphins. But he, in one of his uh, books written near the end of his life, he, he said there will be no new age until people learn to think in a new way. We've got to learn to, to think in a way that's aligned with nature. If we don't do it, we're on a path to its collective suicide. And astrology is traditionally called the language of nature. And that's why we talk about summer cycles and winter cycles and storm cycles, etc. Because it's a way to kind of realign us with these natural rhythms. And I think that's, if we're going to get through this crisis here, if we're going to actually start to deal with the situation, we have to learn to think in a way that allows us to do that. And again, our culture is not helping us do that at this point in time. Uh, and that's, there's different, astrology is just one way to do it. There's many different ways, but astrology is the way that's appealed to me. And so therefore it's the one I can talk about here. Well, and something that you and I have talked about in the past is just creating more of a sustainable lifestyle, growing your own garden, really getting back in touch with nature. I mean, there's a lot of small steps that people can make to just become more aware yep. of how they're living their lifestyle. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, if the the weather patterns that we've just had in the last year, if those aren't a testament to the things that are to come, people better start waking up because it is going to be shocking if they're not paying attention. Yeah, I live in the Southwest, and I live in uh, I live at eight thousand feet in a in a pine forest. We used to have forest fires used to be an issue every once in a while. Now we live with the threat of forest fires year round. 
Uh, and I mean, these mega fires, these are not, uh, these are like firestorms. We had a fire at Los Alamos a few years ago that was throwing a wave of superheated air in front of it, 5,000 degrees in temperature. And when you look at the, at the video of the fire advancing, the trees were actually explode. The, so, the sap was boiling in the trees before the fire would reach them. The trees would actually explode and then catch fire wow. uh, from the boiling saps. I mean, we're dealing with stuff here uh, that's beyond our comprehension and certainly beyond our capacity to, to deal with it in any significant way. I hope that your listeners are taking this very seriously because again from my astrological point of view uh, this is we either we either move the shocking transformation forward consciously here by changing things in a way that work for us or we're going to get shockingly transformed in ways we're not going to like at all and, and you said that this uh uranus pluto relationship is going to continue so we're basically going to be in this so-called winter cycle until 2017 Okay, this is not this is not a winter. The Saturn's the winter, so you're getting your cycles okay. mixed up here. Saturn's the winter cycle. Uh, Uranus Pluto we call shocking transformation. It's in its most intense phase through the spring of 2015, but it lingers to some degree through 2017, sort of on the analogy of aftershocks uh, with an earthquake. So I, you know, in my experience here, we need to plan to be in the hurricane here for four more, four more years before the situation changes. And I don't think what that I don't think that means everything calms down. I think what that means, well, I used to work on a bell curve model. I used to think that these planets would come along and symbolize an intensification of energy, like a rising bell curve, and then it would peak and then it would drop and go back to normal. One day it occurred to me, that's the wrong model. The correct model is a stair-step model. These planets come along and they, they symbolize again an intensification of our lives. And the energy rises and then that becomes the new normal. And it plateaus at that point for a number of years before the next planetary configuration symbolizes circumstances that pushes it up the next step on the stair. So I don't think I don't think we're going to ever see things calm down in any. They're not. They're not going back to anything they were before. This is this. When people talk about the new normal, that's not just a metaphor. That's the truth. We're just going to get better at living in the new normal because we're going to get more used to it here. Um, and but this is you know. Let me let me just throw an idea here. This is the. People often ask me, they say, you've been involved with this stuff for 47 years. What, what have you learned from this? Here's the, here's the essence of what I've learned from all my time involved with this stuff. We don't have any choice whether or not we deal with these cycles. They're bigger than us. They're, we, just like we have no choice about whether we deal with winter or summer in nature, these cycles just occur when they occur. Our only choice in relationship to them is whether we work with them with understanding, what we call consciously, which means make choices to cooperate with them, or whether we act the energy all out unconsciously. When we look around at, again, all of the chaotic situations in the world at this point in time, when you look at typhoon, uh, the big typhoon that just happened in the Philippines, 
that's the energy of Uranus and Pluto symbolically working unconsciously. Now, again, those planets are not causing that. They're just symbolizing it. We're doing poetry here. We're not doing science. But if we understand again that things are changing in our lives, and if we say, okay, if things are changing, how do I need to change? What what could I do differently in my life that would be in cooperation with this cycle? And that's that takes us to what you just mentioned a few minutes ago. More and more people, for instance, are getting concerned about the quality of the food supply. Part of the shocking transformation is our, our food supply is poisoned now. Part of the shocking transformation is that the water's poisoned. We, we have to take this into account and we have to say, okay, uh, what can we do about this to remedy this situation? That's working with the energy consciously. The worst thing you can do under Uranus-Pluto is just hunker down and try to hold on to the current circumstances in your life. Because then you're totally out of harmony with the energy. And it's like the energy then in effect becomes the equivalent of a bored teenager. It's got nowhere to go. You're not giving it expression in any way. So it starts to work in your life unconsciously and it's and the way it does that is things start changing on you. And once again, you may not like the way they change. So you're always better off with these energies saying, okay, if I'm sensing that it's time for a change in some part of my life, it's really time to be proactive with that change and not just hope this will all go away and somehow I'll calm down. Again, we are in intense, intense times here, and that is not going to shift, if I'm correct. Well, and I think you're right. I think that the correct word here is cooperation. Instead of fighting it, just go with it. Yeah. Because these energies are so strong, and we're going through this massive transformation. Now, I, I realize that it really depends on um, how an individual's chart is, but are these good times to be starting new projects or new businesses or new things because of these big balls of energy that are taking place? Well, there, there, this is certainly a time to try something different, okay? This is, again, not a time for same burger, same fries. This is a time for uh, experimentation. It's a time for, um, you know, we see this like with this debate about, you know, can we continue to burn fossil fuels or do we have to move more into alternative energies? These planets are saying there's no choice here. Uh, you keep burning fossil fuels and the change that that's going to create in the world. If you want to live with that one, go ahead. But, you know, those of us who say, no, that's not what we want to live with, uh, you know, feel it in, it's incumbent on us to actually start to, in our own ways, uh, do what we can to start to support the kinds of energy production we need and not support the kinds that's basically killing us, the killing most of us, to the benefit of a very few people. So this is definitely a time for change. But in terms of, for instance, should I start a new business? That's a very individual issue. And that's, again, what the purpose of an individual chart is, is to give you some indication as to whether or not this is the right time for that specific kind of uh, or, for instance, it may be the right time in your life to start a new business, but it might be better to wait six months. Just like, again, if you're trying, if I, if I want to plant a garden in New York City, if I go out to uh, plant that garden in January, 
uh, it's not going to grow very well, okay? But if I wait till May, it's going to grow fine. And so an individual chart can help a person understand when they're at the point where their efforts are likely to be more successful rather than just inviting problems because they're completely out of harmony with the time. But you need an individual chart to be able to spot that. Well, Tom, we are up here at an hour now. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show. Did you want to share your uh, blog with us? Yeah, I, it, it's aimed at different levels of, of people with interest in astrology. There's there's two or three uh, postings that are for people that have had no exposure to astrology whatsoever that are just brand new to it and want to learn a little bit more about it. And it's not technical astrology on the blog. I'm not telling people how to do astrology. I'm telling, I'm trying to help people understand why they should do astrology and what it actually consists of. So I've got a few posts on there for people that are uh, new to it. And I've got uh, some posts for people that are kind of intermediates. And then I've got some posts on there for people that are deeply into it. Uh, the The address is emerging from the beams of the sun.blogspot.com. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thanks. It's always good to embrace change. But let's face it, change is hard. So it's important to preserve the role of the leaders, the ones who have the vision for the possibility of great change, the leaders who make the suggestions on how to view things differently but for the better. As Henry Ford famously said, if I had asked the people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Change requires vision, risk, and conviction to make it all happen. What one change can you make today to make this year a better planet? Your world a better place? It's no longer an option to think sustainably. It's necessary. I mentioned last month about one of my listeners, Tyler Nottingham. His company, Brown Dog Lighting Designs, is doing this very thing. He rebuilds from metal scraps these beautiful lighting designs. It's a win-win for your home and your environment. You can find out more about him on his Etsy shop, Brown Dog Lighting, or browndoglighting.com. It's listeners like him who have made one small conscious decision that will save our planet, literally one scrap at a time. I want to thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Amanda, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. If you'd like more information about this show or have questions or comments, email me at info at abhomeinteriors.com. You can also find me over at the blog, abhomeinteriors.com forward slash blog, or find me on Twitter at the Amanda Gates. Bye for now.